Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest edition of the Lightning Insider Podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider com, your host, and we're going to recap the thrilling Game 2 victory between the, uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning over the Boston Bruins to even up their series, their best-of-seven series at a game apiece, and now becomes a best-of-five series. Game 3 will be actually Wednesday night. They go back-to-back, so uh, make sure that you're paying attention tomorrow night because they will be back on the ice, and a uh, huge swing it could be uh, here in the next 24 hours or, you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, but uh, we have a lot to unpack. There was a ton that went on in this game. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to cover all of it. I'm going to try and get to as much of I, as I can. Um, whatever I don't get to, I guarantee will be on my website. Just go to uh, lightninginsider.com and, and sign up. There's a, a yearly plan or a monthly plan. And uh, if you're not a subscriber to the website yet, I'm going to give you a special code. If you want to sign up, I'll give you $10 off the first year. Uh, just put in podcast. Use the use the phrase podcast in the coupon code. Uh, I'll give you $10 off your first year subscription to lightninginsider.com. And you should also check out my son's NHL Daily Diary. It's uh, really good stuff. Um, he's been writing ever since the return to play started, so going all the way back to August 1st. So he's been doing this now for three weeks, and it's really good and really entertaining stuff. So make sure you check out his diary as well. All right, on to the game. Uh, well, always, too, if you ever have a question that you want on the podcast, uh, I usually do these post games. So um, find me on Twitter. It's the easiest way to do it. Use the hashtag AskEE. That's A-S-K-E-E. On Twitter, I will find it. Uh, I usually put out a prompt for it, too. So if you reply to that and use the hashtag, uh, I'll certainly find it as well. If you want to email me questions, you can do that as well. It is eric at lightninginsider.com, and that's Eric with a K. So it's E-R-I-K at lightninginsider.com. All right, uh, Andre Palat's overtime winner, first of his career, uh, wins this game for Tampa Bay 4-3, to uh, a game that the Lightning trailed twice. Took the lead in the third period, lost the lead with about four minutes to go. Then Andre Palat ends up with the winner about four minutes into overtime. And needless to say, that's the huge, huge victory for the Lightning. Because if you go down 0-2 in the series and you've got to turn around and play a game 24 hours later, the emotional swing, and not that it can't be done, and not that this team can't handle that, but the emotional swing of having to turn around and win four of the next five games when one of them, the first one of those, is a back-to-back situation, that's a difficult task. So you already blew game one, 
where the Bruins built a 3-0 lead. Tampa Bay made it close in the end on a couple of Victor Hedman goals, but end up losing that game 3-2. And the other factor in that, and we'll get into it a little bit later from a Tampa Bay perspective, but from a Boston perspective, okay, the Lightning had a run of play big time in this game when it comes to shot, shot possession. Uh, we'll touch on that a little bit. But the fact that Yara Halak, remember, they don't have Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask left the bubble a couple of weeks ago prior to their Game 3 against the Carolina Hurricanes, turned the starting position over to Yara Halak. And Yara Halak, as we mentioned in the Game 1 podcast, post-Game 1 podcast, he's a quality goaltender. He's been in this league for a long time. He's carried teams in the playoffs. It's been 10 years, but he did that for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, he was so strong in that playoffs against the Capitals and led the Canadians to the conference final that there was talk, well, maybe the Canadians need to trade Carey Price because they got this Halak guy. Obviously, they ended up trading Halak uh, originally to St. Louis, and you know he's been with the Islanders and um, you know now with the Bruins. He's a quality goaltender. But here's the thing. He hasn't been a number one for a while. He is 10 years older than Andre Vasilevsky is. He faced 40 shots tonight, and I know Bruce Cassidy said after the game he didn't feel it was a, a high volume of work, even though there were a lot of shots and a lot of shot attempts. He didn't feel there were a lot of high-danger opportunities where he had to exert himself maybe a little bit more. Um, but now, now the Bruins... I think they have to start Yaro Halak. I don't really think it's a question, but the question is out there. So one way or the other, the Bruins are going to turn back to Halak, which I think they're probably going to do. Or you have to turn to 23-year-old rookie Dan Vlader, who's never played an NHL game, never, I don't believe, even sat on the bench for an NHL game, has been in the AHL the last couple of years, had some really good numbers for Providence this year, a sub 2.0 goals against average. But he's never played an NHL game. I, I can't see the Bruins turning over a potential pivotal game three to a goalie who's never played an NHL game. When you have Yaro Halak, yeah, it is a back-to-back. You don't see too many goalies start back-to-backs anymore. And in fact, I looked it up, and subscribers to lightninginsider.com already know the answer to this question. But even Andre Vasilevsky hasn't started on back-to-back nights since the 2017-18 season. And that was midway through. He, he started opening night. And then the next night they were down in Sunrise, he started both of those games. And he did it in December of that year. So he hasn't done it since December of 2017. And it's rare that you do it in the playoffs. And I, I didn't look up when Yara Holak has done it. I, it's probably been a long time since Yara Holak has started on back-to-back nights. And these are different circumstances. They're playoff games. But this is what the Lightning are facing tomorrow. They're either going to face a Yara Holak who is starting on back-to-back nights, or you're facing the rookie goaltender, one of the two. Now, the Lightning did do this with Vasilevsky, of course, in the 2015 Stanley Cup Final. When Ben Bishop was injured, they did put him in for Game 4 against Chicago. They had a 2-1 series lead. They felt they wanted to give Ben Bishop a game off to maybe try and get his groin better. So he was thrown in, but he had started games before, right? Like, he he was the backup for uh, the second half of that year. So uh, much different circumstance than this is. But that's why I think it was so important for Tampa Bay to win this game. The way they the way they won it doesn't matter. It's certainly it's a it's a boost. You win an overtime game, but it's just one win, and it's another one goal game. 
So that's what the Lightning have done for themselves now, looking ahead to tomorrow night. Now, in this game, so much to unpack, and, and we'll start with the start. I thought Tampa Bay had a great start. Um, first shift, they're in the Boston zone. They get a opportunity right off the bat. Braden, Braden Coburn, because remember, Ryan McDonough did not play in this game. He was injured, did not practice. Um, we'll get to that question you know, a little bit later uh, about his availability for tomorrow. Um, but so they dress seven defensemen and 11 forwards in this game. So Braden Coburn is, and Luke Shen were the two extras that dressed. And if anybody listened to me with Dave Michigan and Greg Lanelli earlier on um, Tuesday, I talked about how I was intrigued by the thought of going 7-11 in this game in particular. Because when the Lightning do this, and it's not unprecedented for them to do this, it allows them the opportunity to rotate the defenseman around. Because without Ryan McDonough, that's a big hole to fill. That's a lot of minutes, and that's a lot of important minutes. Obviously, on the penalty kill, he usually takes on the top lines. In this case, he's out there a lot against the Bergeron, uh, Marchand, Parstenok line. You can't replace those minutes. You can't fill those minutes. But you can, you can do it by committee. And I think that's what they, they wanted to do. And, and that gives an opportunity, too, because Victor Hedman's going to take on maybe a little bit more of a workload than he normally does. We saw this earlier this year when Ryan McDonough suffered the foot injury in February that Victor Hedman, you know, he gets basically, if you want to call it double shifting as a defenseman, that's what happens. So his, his minutes are going to go from 25-26 to this game they ended up over 28. So that's, that gives them the opportunity to kind of move guys around. And if somebody's not playing well, then you have that extra body out there to kind of fill that role. So I was really intrigued um, by the thought process and then ends up being exactly what John Cooper and the staff did address the, the seven defensemen. And, and they all contributed. They all had uh, key nights in, in so many ways. And uh, against the Bruins, that's uh, important. Because uh, you get caught out there against the Bergeron line in a situation where you don't want to. Now, again, tomorrow night, Bruins have home ice advantage, so they get last change. They'll get to dictate the matchups a little bit better. Um, so the start was really good on Tampa Bay's part. It was the exact opposite of what happened in Game 1. They did not test the waters. They didn't dip their toes in the water. They went out, and they went uh, for it. And one thing that I noticed especially in the first period, and Tampa Bay likes to have their defense active. They like to have them involved in the rush, of course, and then as the trailers as well. But what I noticed tonight is how aggressive they were getting in the zone and getting down low, actually being part of the forecheck on a couple of situations. I, we saw Victor Hebben down low. We saw Mikhail Sergachev down low. Um, you know, We saw Kevin Shattenkirk down low. Um, much more noticeable than it was in Game 1 the ability to get in on the forecheck and create and, and create some chaos and some coverage issues for teams when you do that. And uh, I wish I wanted to ask John Cooper this question after the game. Of course, the way things are, uh, we're limited. I, the, I think it's the first time I have not been able to get in a post-game question uh, to either the players or the head coach. I wanted to ask Cooper about that. I know I did ask Zach Bogosian about it, um, but he didn't really – give me the answer I was necessarily looking for. I mean, it is a big part of their game plan uh, on a nightly basis, but I thought it was just much more noticeable tonight, and I think that gave the Lightning 
a different mindset heading into this game compared to game one, right? Like we just talked about, they kind of tested the waters. This kind of forced them to jump into the waters, if you will, to have that aggressive mindset from the start. Don't feel, don't feel for how the game is going to be played. Go dictate how the game is going to be played. Now, it's unfortunate that the Bruins ended up getting the first goal in this game. Bogosian breaks a stick at the blue line. The Bruins kind of jump away on a two-on-one. They don't score on the two-on-one, but there's a scramble around the net. And it looked like Andre Vasilevsky had the puck covered. I don't know how the referee can sit there and say he saw the puck loose because it looked like it was trapped under Vasilevsky's pad. Um, but they just they just kind of got a couple of whacks at it. The whistle never blew. We've seen this um, blown down before for uh, intent to blow. We didn't even get that, and, and Nick Ritchie ends up getting the, the goal just three minutes into the game, and it, it's a tough break for Tampa Bay. They started the game exactly the way they wanted to and end up giving up the first goal. And then later, Barclay Goodrow ties the game. It's a great deflection. I think it was it was actually off a of Coburn shot. So Coburn, um, again, being involved and getting shots towards the net for his first game since March. You know, they got the exhibition game, both Shen and Coburn did, but his first game since um, you know, back in March before we hit the pause. And um it's a great goal. It's a great deflection, it's a middle slot deflection. Uh goes past Yarrow Halak, it's a tie game. Mm, but it wasn't because the Bruins challenged the play for offside. And you can argue this rule. You can hate this rule. I don't like this rule, but this is the rule. If you're offside, you're offside. And it doesn't matter if it's a millimeter, an inch, or two feet. If you're offside, you're offside. Now, the intent of this rule was to take away the egregious ones, right? Like the Matt Duchesne, 10 feet into the zone. The linesman of the referee isn't even looking and doesn't call it dead. And the Avalanche go down and score, I believe it was against the Coyotes. It was supposed to take away those type of calls. As we know, it's taking away the minuscule toenail calls, if you will. And that's what this was. It was a toenail call. But under the letter of the rule, it's the proper call. So you get a, a, a goal taken off the board. And I'll say this too, there's it hasn't been passed yet. Uh, it is in the hands of the NHL Competition Committee to look at this. This breaking the plane rule, which is not a rule yet. This is what they're trying to get through. If your back skate has not broken the plane, that will still count as onside because the way the rule is right now, your lead foot, if your back foot comes off the ice, all of a sudden your lead foot becomes the determination whether you were onside or not. They are trying to change that rule to even if your foot is off the ice, and if it hasn't broken the plane, that it's going to be an onside. I expect that rule to get passed. If that was the case, this goal counts. Because Goodrow's skate was still in the air in the plane of the blue line. If you think of the, the blue line as a straight-across plane from side to side, it was still behind. Unfortunately, Braden Point, if he'd have taken a quarter stride more, just a quarter stride more, he'd have been onside. He wasn't. It's the right call. And all of a sudden, now you've got this this bad feeling about you, right, if you're a Lightning fan. The way the first goal went in, you get a tying goal taken off the board. 
But here's the phrase I've uttered a few times, and I'm going to utter it again here. Embrace the suck and dance in the rain. It's something that Julian Brisebois gave when I asked him this question about how he built his, um, you know, about um, the getting the right type of competition before getting into playoffs. And that was his answer. Embrace the suck and dance in the rain. And basically that just narrows itself down to we can't control what we can't control. Go out and control what you can. And that's kind of how this attitude of this team is right now, right? Yeah, they were emotional. We saw John Cooper as animated as he's been in a while for a call that went against his team. They weren't happy with it. You could even see him uttering a couple of naughty words, if you will, if you mouth it. We're not going to, this is a family podcast. We're not going to say what he said. But he was not happy about it. But they they push by it, right? Okay, you had you said your piece. You push by it. It's it's it should be a rule of life too, right? If you're not if you if you can't control something, you're not happy with it. State your piece and move on. And that's what they did in this game, because the <laughs> this is an unbelievable play. The tying what ends up now being a tying goal. And go back to what I mentioned about the defense being a little bit more active and aggressive on the play. Zach Bogosian. Zach Bogosian takes off, and if you want to plant that aggressive seed into a defenseman mind, and it's just based on the way they play, it's clearly something they talked about. So you plant this aggressive seed in a player's mind. So here's Zach Bogosian. Remember, he was a third overall pick in 2008. So he's a high draft pick for a reason. He makes a move. He splits the D, and as he's falling around, falling down to the ice, he's able to get a pass over to Blake Coleman, who's um, just trailing behind him on the play. And this goal right here is a big reason why the Tampa Bay Lightning acquire Blake Coleman. He does not give up on anything. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the highlights. If you haven't, look it up. He scored a one-handed goal. Uh, to start this year when he was with the New Jersey Devils. Just an unbelievable effort goal. And then this one, there it's already been tabbed, the Superman goal, where he is diving forward. You can see him clearly off the ice. There's a couple of great still shots of it. Poking the puck and gets it past Yara Halak. You want to talk about something that's going to bring your bench to life. Not that they weren't. Their, their bench was alive. But this brought them onto their skates to watch that play develop. And it's a tie game. And now you're feeling a little bit better about yourself, um, you know, and how things go. <sighs> but of course, the uh, the lighting end up falling behind. It's late in the second period. It's a penalty call on Andre Pallad. It's a high-sticking call. It's the right call. Again, we're not complaining here about the, the calls that were made against Tampa. They were calls, and there were some that were let go. On Boston's end, um, you know, we're not going to get into that because that's too easy. Um, but, of course, Boston cashes in on their power play, and this is this is a, a little bit of an issue that's coming up with this team. Boston's getting their power plays, and they're converting. They got the one power play goal in game one, ends up being a one-goal game. That's the difference. Again, tonight... They get their power play. It's their third power play opportunity of the game. They cash in. 
and you're behind by a goal again, and you're thinking, oh, power play, penalty kill, do something. And that's, again, they had been pretty aggressive early in the game because they did have to kill off two period, uh, two power plays in the first period, and I thought they did a really good job. They are really aggressive on the puck. Uh, you have to be dang- you know, be aware, though, because you know with, with that top power play unit, they're dangerous, and if you over-pursue, you're going to open up lanes, and that's not what happened here, but there was a lane that opened up. Um, you know, David Posternock found a way to put a puck right through the, the skates of Eric Chernak and ends up right on the stick of Brad Marchand for an easy tap door or a backdoor tap in. Um, so now, oh boy, here we go again. They're down by a goal again, but they answered it, right? Embrace the sock dance in the rain. They answered it less than a minute later. Nikita Kucherov gets on the board. He gets a shaft of his stick on a Kevin Shattinger uh uh, shot, but it's all set up by Braden Point. You, you know, it's not too often that we're going to sit here and talk about major highlight reel goals that the Lightning scored. They scored two of them tonight. The Coleman one was unbelievable uh, from the play that Bogosian made to the play that Coleman makes to, to get to it. The play that Braden Point makes, he he basically eluded three defenders along the wall. He sh- He's so shifty with the puck. And this is, we talked about how healthy he is with the hips. It's so noticeable on plays like that to where he's able to kind of contain and control the puck, shake off a check, maintain possession of the puck, spin off the boards and away from pressure. And then he's got another guy to, to deal with. And he kind of just makes a quick little move away to get the puck over to Kevin Shattenkirk, who did not hesitate to get a puck on goal. Um, ends up going off the, the, the stick of Kevin Shattenkirk. So again, not phased not phased by what's happening by putting themselves behind. And they end up tying the game, and it's a 2-2 game going into the third period. So again, shaking off what's not going your way. Another great goal by Blake Coleman. It's a terrific pass from Victor Hedman. It's a, it was a little bit a tad risk play on Blake Coleman, and, and I saw this before it even happened. You know, Sometimes players will see, and Brad Marchand's really good at this. I know you hate me giving praise to Brad Marchand, but he's really good at this, of reading a play that's developing, knowing that his team is going to get possession. He'll he'll cheat a little bit. He'll take off up the ice a little bit. And Coleman didn't necessarily take off, but he was high enough outside the blue line that he got lost behind the Bruins' defense. And as a perfect pass from Victor Hedman, sends Coleman in, and he converts the breakaway. I, I think he got a little fortunate bounce. I think um, his, his stick got touched or lifted. I think he was trying to go high. Uh, ends up going a low, and it kind of pinballs off the Yara Holock's pads and into the net. All of a sudden, now the Lightning are leading. Okay, that goal comes with 9.20 left. Well, Boston, really good team. They're a really good team, and that top line is, is, is the best line in hockey still. They've been the best line in hockey for three, four years now. They're still the best line in hockey. They're so dangerous. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, well, they sat back. The Lightning did not sit back. I thought that they played this very smartly because when there were opportunities get the puck in and maybe go get it again, they did. When there were opportunities to to get the puck in deep and go change, they did. If they were under any sort of duress in their own end, they just found a way to get it out. Well, the one time you can't or you don't is when it can burn you. I thought that they were still playing this fine. But Tyler Johnson, excuse me, has a chance to get the puck 
out of the zone, and he tries to corral the puck rather than just swatting it because he's above the right circle, and there's no there's no Boston player at the, you know guarding the wall. All he has to do is swipe it. So if nothing else, swipe it, recover it, and clear it. Or swipe it, get in a board battle, and try and win the board battle. He tried to corral the puck. It's not something you see out of, out of him. He's a veteran player. Um, didn't make the play. Stays in the zone. Puck gets back down low, and there's that guy again. Hanging out at the post. Backdoor tap in. Tie game with 3.58 to play. But here, again, embrace the suck and dance. And it should be the title of this podcast. Embrace the suck and dance in the rain. The Lightning regrouped themselves. They weren't affected by it. And just like they did in Game 5 against the Columbus Blue Jackets when that game went to overtime, and they were the team that had to come back in that one, they came out with a very aggressive approach in overtime. And, you know, we'll address this right now. The Sorelli line struggled again against Pasternak's line, the Bergeron line, if you will. Struggled against them tonight. The final numbers are going to look ugly, and I have them right here for you. They were out-attempted at even strength, 18-9. to So that's 33% Corsi, if you will. Compare that to the Gord and the point lines. Those two lines combined out-attempted their opposition, 35-11. to Again, this is just a five-on-five. This is not power play. This is not six-on-five. Not that there was a six-on-five. It doesn't count the four-on-four. So this is just five-on-five play. 35-11, to the Gord and Point line were combined, whereas the Sorelli line was out-attempted 18-9. to That's not a good night. It was their line that was on the ice for the tying goal. But here's the thing with John Cooper, and it's easy to sit here and say, you need to break him up. You need to get him away from the matchup. And in some ways, I, I see that thought process, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to put you inside the mind of John Cooper right now. Go back to 2018. Tampa Bay faces Boston in the second round of the playoffs. Braden Point at that point in time was the matchup center. And his, cha- his task was to go against Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, and Brad Marchand. Or Brad Marchand, I don't know what he's called this week. Minus five was Braden Point in that game. Remember, this is his first playoff. He was a rookie the year before. They missed the playoffs by a point. This is his first playoffs. And they'd already gone through the series against the Devils, but the Devils are not the Bruins. Minus five he was. Well, of course, the questions after the game to John Cooper is, do you have to find ways to get Braden Point away from that matchup? And he didn't hesitate. No. That's the matchup we want. That's the matchup we're going with. So here's your mindset. Here's your view into the mind of John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, the Sorelli line struggled. They're on the ice for the tying goal. Who's out on the ice to start overtime? Bruins put out Bergeron's line. John Cooper doesn't hesitate. Right back out in the Killorn line went. And guess what happened? Puck got in deep into the Bruins zone. And it stayed there. So if you want to say it's issuing challenges, if it's it's a signal to these players that the coach has your back, he trusts you, it, it worked. It works out. You know, Sorelli is a guy who has 
overcome has been challenged his entire career from the time he walked on at Oshawa as a 15-year-old in the OHL and, and moved along in his career to the point he is now. So he's not unaccustomed to challenges. The coaching staff put the trust in them. They did the job. They did it with that aggressive mindset that they had going into overtime. And you know what the shot attempts were in the overtime? They were 13-2 to in favor of Tampa Bay. They came out with a mindset that we're winning this game right now. We're going to do this. And it was a great play to win the game. So a lot of people have asked about the new players that have come in and, and you know, especially the price that Julian Breezeball paid to get a couple of them. You know, Blake Coleman gets two goals tonight. Kevin Shattenkirk has an assist. Barclay Goodrow had a goal that was taken off the board. Kevin Shattenkirk had the assist. I just mentioned that. But look at the play that Pat Maroon made. I, you've heard me say this a couple of times. He is so hard. When he's down low, there are not many players who are better than him at protecting the puck in down low areas and getting it to the front of the net. And this is exactly what he does. He collects the puck below the goal line, comes in with a wraparound, creates some chaos. Andre Pilat comes swooping down. Yanni Gore got a touch on it. It gets over to Pilat. He ends up winning the game. Boom. Series is tied 1-1. The latest news and insight with the Lightning is found here on the Lightning Insider Podcast. Here again is Eric Erlinson. So that was a lot to unpack in that game. And it was key, key on so many levels for Tampa Bay to come back and win that game and get this series tied going into tomorrow night. Because now... Now it's a 1-1 series. You feel good about where you're at. You like a lot of the things that you did in this game. And the the shot attempts in this game, they kind of give you an idea of how strong Tampa Bay was really throughout most of it. Now they, they you know, look, they gave up a few too many odd man rushes again. You know, Pasternak had two opportunities on a two-on-one. Um, Vasilevsky made the save on both of them. One of them was on a pad save. The other one went off a, the top of his helmet and, and, and went uh, out of play. But the shot attempts at at five on five again. This is five on five. Were seventy three to forty seven. Seventy three to forty seven were the shot attempts advantage that Tampa Bay had in this game. That's sixty percent, just under sixty one percent. If you want to go to all even strength, seventy three forty nine. There was only the one four on four, and for the entire game, it was eighty six to fifty four. So the Lightning threw eighty six pucks toward the net. They end up with forty shots on goal. Puck possession was so much better tonight. Keeping the puck and keeping the Bruins hemmed in their own zone was so much better tonight. Tuesday night, I guess you're probably listening to this Wednesday morning. But they were so much, they were better in so many areas, and that was an encouraging, encouraging sign for this team to kind of get back to being who they were. You know, I had mentioned it that they did they looked tentative in game one to start the game, forgot who they were, forgot their identity. I felt they got back to their identity again tonight. You know, and the high danger chances, 15 to 6. That's a huge, huge advantage uh, for Tampa Bay. Now, you don't want to be giving the Bruins too many high danger chances because of the the firepower that they have, um, but 15 to 6 with the high danger chances in this game. All right, let's get to uh, your questions um, that were sent in for uh, the post-game show here, the post-game podcast, if you will. Um, but I will get to all of them. Uh, I'll try and be brief and short as I can. Um, 
I, I love the one here from uh, Reasonable Doubt on Twitter. Uh, it's simply um, my favorite show, The Simpsons, Krusty the Clown, basically saying, what the hell was that? That was a very entertaining game, uh, a fun game. It's, it's more fun because Tampa Bay ended up winning it. Uh, but that was a very entertaining, it's a hard-fought battle. These two teams are so evenly matched on many levels um, that this is what you end up with. Uh, from Caleb, who's uh, at TKFerber92 on Twitter, uh, Kucherov looks so much better tonight. I know he's had some flashes already this postseason, but after this game, do you think he is awakening in a sense? See, I don't think Kucherov has been sleepy. He's Look, he's had a couple of passes. You're like, oh, stop that. Just stop. Please just stop that. Uh, but for the most part, he's been engaged. You know, Columbus tried really hard to get under his skin because they knew, you know, he took a, a frustration penalty last year that led to a suspension. So they tried to get under his skin, and he just kind of took it and smiled and gave it back a little bit as well. Um, there's no doubt that getting a goal, goal scorers like to feel the puck go in the back of the net. They like to see the puck go in the back of the net. Uh, there's no doubt that I think it can help him. Um, but I, I think he's been pretty engaged uh, for a lot of it. Uh, from Bob, as always, uh, at ATS underscore um, Tampa. Um, did the 11-7 and 7 force Boston to adjust? And uh, who floated on the odd man line? Palat with the winner, not his line. Does Cooper go with that tomorrow? Bogosian play tonight was very good, in my opinion. Um, the 11-7, and 7, this is what the 11-7 and 7 does. And I'll try and keep this brief. We mentioned, we mentioned how you can rotate. Well, you have to rotate the defenseman. You don't have set pairs, right? So if the other team likes likes their matchups, it's hard to match up when you're rotating defense around. So that's the one thing that it gives the advantage for the team that has the seven defensemen. It, the other advantage that it has is with 11 forwards, you double shift now. So you can get... Uh, a Nikita Kucherov out for an extra three or four shifts a game. It could be a difference in a game. You can get a Braden Point out. We saw Yanni Gord out there quite a bit with that line uh, tonight that has Paquette Maroon on it. So then you create matchup issues because if you get an offensive, and we saw this, we saw this. Mm, I think it, it was either the um, the I think it was a second period. It was either second period or early in overtime where there was a line out on the ice and. They changed just Kucherov. Kucherov came over the boards. It was in overtime. Um, you know, to give him an extra shift, and that wasn't necessarily the ele- the because of the eleven forwards and you're double shifting them. But they, that's the kind of stuff that you can do. Like if you have an offensive zone face off, and you know it's it's the maroon pocket line is up. Well, go throw Kucherov out there. Get him out there for an extra shift, and maybe you catch a a, a matchup advantage. Maybe it's a, it's the fourth line against fourth line. Well, you can throw Kucherov out there. You can throw a point out there for an extra shift. It could be the end of the, be the difference in the game. I think that's the advantage that it has. Now there's some disadvantages. We saw this earlier this year. They dressed eleven forwards while they went down a forward early in the game. So now you're down to ten. So now you're basically just three lines, and in a game like tonight, that could have been something to sort of worry about because if you go down to 10 forwards early and you have to finish out the game and then come back and play again tomorrow night, you, you worry about legs. Now, the flip side of that is that you save some of the minutes on the defensive side because what you ended up with in this game, uh, Hedman got his 28, which he knew he was going to. Uh, Sergachev played 21. Braden Coburn played 13. Bogosian played 14. Shattenkirk played 17. 
Luke Shen played 12. So you could see how the minutes were kind of stretched out a little bit so that maybe you could have some fresh ones for tomorrow. Um, we'll see if they go back to 7-11. Um, we'll, we'll get to the question that's going to address that a little bit more in a second. I, I probably would because of how well it worked tonight, but I think a lot of it's going to have to depend on how the forwards felt as well. Are they fresh enough to come back in a back-to-back scenario? Uh, from Blake Roberts, 17... Uh, do you think Vasilevsky suits up tomorrow night in net with this possibly looking like a long series in a short period of time? To me, it's a no-brainer. You know, we had mentioned all the the factors in the, uh, that the Bruins have to deal with with an older goaltender who hasn't been a starter, a number one starter for a number of years. Um, now he's been a backup in Boston. Now this is the second straight year as a backup here. With Vasilevsky, it's a different story. John Cooper did address this um, yesterday about starting Vasilevsky and he went through all the factors that he's younger he hasn't you know he didn't play in five months uh, so there's fatigue is not really an issue he compared it to kind of being at the end of October beginning November in terms of the number of games played to me it's a no-brainer I would be shocked if we don't see Andre Vasilevsky in net tomorrow and yeah look there this you have the potential for seven games in 11 nights and that's a lot of hockey in a short period of time I mentioned before Vasilevsky hasn't started on back-to-back games since the 2017-18 season, and that was in the first half. He lost the second half of both of those games. One of them was in Boston where they played in Buffalo the night before. Uh, From Handers Mark, um, honest question, after seeing both Boston games, should Kalorn-Sorelli-Johnson line be the one with fewer minutes? Well, I just addressed that a little bit, right, if you want to get inside the mind of John Cooper. He trusts that line. They had a rough night. They weren't as good either in game one, but he trusts that line. We'll actually see now what's going to happen now that the Bruins have last change, what matchup. They'll probably want to stick with the same matchup. They did that in 2018. They stuck with the Bergeron line against the point line for the two games in Boston. Um, so I expect that to stay the same. Look, it, it's easy because if you look at the way the other two top lines are playing, they're playing lights out. You know, I mentioned it earlier, the disparity in the shot attempts for that line when they're on the ice is 35 to 11. You know, do you want to rob Peter to pay Paul? And that's what you have to ask yourself. The the challenge, look, there's no doubt John Cooper sent the message. You're being challenged right now. Go out and respond. If they did in the overtime, I expect it to stay that way for game two. And I expect that... Um, Bruce Cassidy will stick with the same lineup or the same matchup. Uh, from Lee Ensinoza, how much has not having fans in the stands affected the players? Would think playing in front of the home crowd would get a little extra juice, kind of like a ba- band playing to an empty arena, no adrenaline. I agree with you, and that's why I am so impressed with the way that the players have responded to the situation because you watch the game at home, and I know that the, the TV broadcast has piped in some noise in the background. It looks and it feels like playoff hockey that you're watching on TV. If you didn't know there weren't stands, fans in the stands, you wouldn't realize there weren't fans in the stands. I'm so impressed with the way the players have come and showed up in this playoffs. It's fantastic hockey to watch. It's very entertaining. The one thing that you're hearing um, that might be a factor is if teams get down in a series, is it harder for them to stay involved? Right, because of all these parameters, it's been a month now that all these teams have been inside this bubble. It was one month ago today that the teams arrived in Toronto, all 24 of them, well, 12 in Toronto, 12 in Edmonton. And yet, for the most part, these have been very entertaining playoff field, playoff style hockey. Um, 
yeah, they don't get the adrenaline, they don't get the juice, but they all understand what's on the line here, and I think you're seeing that. It's very, very impressive. Uh, from D. Brown Cow, guessing we won't see 12-6 again this series. Thought we would see more of Cooch with Sorelli or even Gore tonight. Maybe I missed it. Expect to see that in Game 3. Uh, I don't expect them to change too much up in Game 3. Um, again, I think the feel is going to be him, John Cooper, and the staff going to the players and asking them, how do you feel? Can you go back-to-back? Um, you know, So it, it'll be a feel thing, but I'd be surprised if they don't go with 11-7 and 7 again, uh, again tomorrow uh, because I do not expect to see Ryan McDonough in the lineup because um, that was asked somewhere. Uh, they didn't hashtag it. If you want the questions, you got to hashtag it. Okay, put the hashtag AskEEM guaranteed to find it. Um, sometimes it gets lost in my mentions, um, but I did see that question come through earlier. I don't look if McDonough wasn't able to play tonight. I don't expect him to be able to play tomorrow. That's just the reality of it. Um, so my guess is you go eleven seven again. From Evgeny Lightning fan, who's One Bolt Nation at One Bolt Nation. What was your assessment on the power play where they put Kucherov on the left side and Palat as the trigger man on the right? Seems like it created a ton of chances. I always watch you and Jay after every game. Love the podcast, too. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Yeah, me and Jay Retcher from 95.3 do post-game uh, Facebook Lives on the 95.3 WDAE Facebook page. So we do that after every game. So check that out uh, as well. And then I uh, appreciate the uh, the love for the podcast. Um, good start. Good start here for the podcast. As far as the question, it, it it had to change some look, right? You had to give a different look and a different feel because 0 for 14, uh, their power their second uh, power play tonight looked a lot better. Their third, actually. Their third power play looked a lot better. Moving that puck, as, as you referenced there, changing things around. Uh, I don't think that was organic. I think that was that was something that they wanted to do. Um, didn't line up that way to start the power play, but I think they just kind of changed things around to not only give themselves a different look, to give the Bruins something different to look at. And in the second period, they had two power play opportunities. They generated 12 shot attempts on, on them, and, and most of them came in that second power play because there was about a minute 20 they spent in the zone with that first unit. Um, Needs some more of that, Need some, uh, but you need to cash in. You can't continue to go over on the power play and think that, um, you're going to have success. You've got to find ways to start getting pucks into the back of the net uh, on, the, on the man advantage. I like what I saw on that last power play. I expect if they get a power play opportunity tomorrow night, we'll see that. Um, from uh, P-R-Z-E-M-E-K, Prezmik, I guess we'll go with that. Um, I feel like Palat is an odd player in points line, and we see that Sorelli's line is struggling. Should Cooper switch Palat with Kalorn or Johnson? Tyler is a righty like Stamko, so that could work. We need more threat from the left side on the top line. They need more threats, period, from the second line. Right? And it's an interesting concept. Um, you know, the thing is, is that Johnson's playing the right wing and Palat's playing the left wing. Um it's an intriguing thing, but then again, you go back to what I had said a little bit earlier. Do you rob Peter to pay Paul? Do you do you disrupt the chemistry and what's going on with the point Palant Kucherov line and the uh, Gord Goodrow Coleman line to try and get something to work for the Sorelli line? <sighs> it's a difficult question. 
it's it's something that I'm sure the coaching staff has thought about. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a change. I think that we're going to see things stick the way they are because just of how good the other lines have been, I don't think they're going to mess with anything um, in that. Um, from April, and she apologizes if this is a dumb question. April, there's no such thing as dumb questions, but how is the stat for power play calculated for 0 for 5? How does that make our percentage 10%? Here's the difference, April. The 10% that you're seeing on the league stats includes the round-robin games. So they did convert a couple of power plays in the round-robin games. The 0 for 15 that I keep referencing is since the playoffs started. So starting with game one against Columbus, they are 0 for 15 on the power play. That's the difference there. Um, So again, not a dumb question. Don't ever feel like you're asking me a dumb question. If you don't understand a rule, even, even if you don't want it on the podcast, send me a direct message. My DMs are open uh, on Twitter, so you can always ask me a question there. I will never talk down to you. I will never make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so send them my way all you want. Um, I love interacting with you guys, the fans, uh, and I want to continue to do that. So don't ever feel like you can't ask uh, a question um, to me here and think that you're going to be looked down upon. That'll never, ever happen. That I promise you. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this post-game edition. I went a little bit, uh, a few minutes longer than normal, but uh, like I said, there was a lot to unpack in this game. Uh, make sure you check out my website, lightninginsider.com. Again, if you use the code PODCAST, if you're not a subscriber, use PODCAST in the coupon code. I will give you $10 off a yearly subscription. The first year, uh, you'll get $10 off. Um, make sure you find this, um, whether you found it on Stitcher, on Google. Google should be working. We've had some issues with it. If anybody's been looking for it on Google, We've, I think we've got that resolved. It should be up there by now uh, on Apple, um, uh, anywhere you find your podcast. Hit the five-star review, subscribe, like it. All of it helps me. Uh, we're always looking for sponsors, so if anybody wants to be involved with this show, uh, reach out to me. Again, my DMs are open on Twitter. It's at Eric underscore Erlinson, uh, T-R-I-K-E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N, or, of course, you can email me. Eric at LightningInsider.com. All right, it's a quick turnaround. We'll be back up with another post-game podcast after tomorrow night's Game 3, so make sure you look for it uh, in your podcast app. It'll be up at some point after the game. Remember, it's an 8 o'clock game uh, tomorrow night. Uh, That game is again back on NBC Sports Network. So, uh, again, we'll be back with you tomorrow night after Game 3. And until then... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.